Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education Podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learnt, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two-year-old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. This episode, we will be talking with the amazing and courageous Holly Ann Martin from Safe from Kids. Holly Ann is a friend of mine who I admire and am so grateful for her leadership in the child safety space. I will get Holly Ann to share her story around how she became a protective behaviours and body safety educator and how she now travels around Australia teaching body safety to schools, parents, teachers, educators, families, and communities. Holly Ann is also an author of many books, creating resources for children, parents, and schools around child abuse prevention and safety. Holly Ann has been doing this work for over 20 years and was awarded the Order of Australia Medal this year for her service to child safety and education. Along with her husband, Roger, Holly Ann is also a massive fan of Elvis Presley and rock and roll swing dancing, which I find fascinating as I have two left feet, but deeply admire anyone who can dance. Welcome, Holly Ann, and thank you so much for coming to talk about child safety and abuse prevention with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. You'll love this. Um, to finish off my year, Roger and I are actually going on an Elvis rock and roll cruise <laughs> in a week. That is going to be so cool. It's the gift to each other for Christmas. Oh, it's so that I love that. I love that you're combining your passion with, you know, a holiday. <laughs> and it's so funny. Whenever I share, you know, fantastic information, crickets, all I have to do is share a picture of Roger and I dancing. It goes off like a frog in a sock. Everybody wants to comment on it and yeah it's it's hilarious that's um, that's awesome I you know why I think people are really interested in dancing is because most of us are too scared to dance and the fact that you will get up and dance freely and you know and swing dancing is so beautiful to watch when it's done well um you know it's just so beautiful the de- the dresses are beautiful everything's gorgeous so yeah I love it we actually where I live I think there's a swing dancing club down here somewhere yeah yeah definitely I've, I've been down to a couple of dances down there with them but it's also my happy place because of the you know the horrendous things that I hear and see um you know it's just such a you know people I'm really aware of vicarious trauma and things and people are always Holly what do you do to keep you know yourself safe for your mental health yeah and I do kinesiology where I go and cry for three hours and rock and roll dancing is my happy place yeah that's awesome and I know personally I know like I've just started investigating what makes me happy and what you know um and I've started doing tennis and um, and I'm, you know, not the greatest tennis player, not the worst tennis player, but I come back with like this massive, like sore cheeks from laughing because I've like laughed at myself the whole time. So, you know, anything that makes you smile the whole way through is pretty good. Um, and it's free, free dopamine. <laughs> free dopamine. Yeah. And you need more. We need more of that. Right. So um, and also both of those exercises, like you're exercising whilst you're dancing. Um, you get a, you get a little sweat up. 
Definitely, definitely. And, you know, we're not the best, but we have the best time. And, you know, people will come up at a pub or whatever and say, oh, just watching you guys, you know, because we don't, you know, we mess up, but then we just fall about laughing. Yeah. And they say, you made our night because, you know, we've always been wanting to do it. And the amount of couples that are actually taking it up because of, you know, I've been telling him for years. I said, just do it. It's so, you know, and so... It's interesting. So do you, so are you one of those couples that go and start dancing in the middle of a pub if the music's right? Oh yeah. I've been known, Brown Eyed Girl is my favourite song to dance to and I've been known to dance at a shopping centre if it plays. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. Oh, you're you're brave. To me, that's bravery. (laughs) See, I told you you were courageous at the start. You know me and you know how shy I am. Yeah. If, you know, I, I can't talk. If You know, if we were at a, um, a cocktail party, I'd be hiding in the toilets because I'm very shy. Yeah. But put on some rock and roll music and... <laughs> and no more shyness. No more... Sh- or talking about keeping kids safe. They're the, they're the two things I could do with up, the utmost confidence. Everything else I'm really shy uh, Well, I didn't know that about you, but that's awesome. All right. Well, so let's talk about what you did before you started teaching about body safety and protective behaviours. So I started my career working um, in an office and then um, got RSI, so I ended up working in a special school. And even before Protective Behaviours came to Australia, um, we always knew that children with special needs were at greater harm of being abused than mainstream children. So we always taught public and private um, to the children. And then in um, the late 80s, uh, Protective Behaviours came to WA in the place of stranger danger. And we were one of the first schools in WA trained because a, um, a volunteer bus aide was abusing kids on the special needs bus. Oh, and okay. so um, I was trained by a lady named Joan Claire Cribbins, um, who was trained by um, Peg Flandro West. And so we'd always taught it with the kids that we'd worked with. And then for 25 years, I'd done that. But then in 2007, I went up into two remote communities here in WA where some horrendous stuff was happening in remote communities and all over the front page of the West Australian. So from there, I just saw a huge need. So I took a huge loan out of my home, quit my job, and I've been doing it full time ever since. Yeah, wow. That's pretty crazy. And you're obviously one of the trailblazers in Western Australia, especially because it it wasn't until, well, when I joined the police in 2010, that was the first time I personally heard about protective behaviours around 2010-11. And I don't think, I think it was fairly, even though it came in the 80s, um, 90s, it was still not widely spoken about. So you're a trailblazer in that space, really. Well, talk about that, but um, I'm really blessed because I get to stand in front of children. So, you know, that's why I've written my children's books and things like that, because children will tell me something and then I'll go, oh, gosh, I need to write a song about that. I need to write a book about that. I need to create a resource about that. Because, you know, back in the 80s when protective behaviours came to Australia, there was no TikTok, there was no mobile phones. We didn't have to worry about Snapchat and all of these things. So... What I'm really grateful for is the chance of standing in front of so many children. And I used to say our program was the most confronting. Mm. I now say progressive because that's better language. Yeah. But, you know, I, I I like to think that, you know, we are staying up. Like some people are still teaching protective behaviours like it was the 80s. Yeah. Um, it hasn't evolved, but it has to because 
you know, the foundation is perfect and, you know, every cyber um, program should, cyber safety program should be based on protected behaviours. It's the foundation that every other program should be built on. And that is what I believe anyway. And, and yeah, because, um, you know, I've incorporated consent education, you know, consent education in Australia next year is going to be a thing. I've been teaching it for 35 years, but now all of a sudden it's a thing. Yeah. But, you know, consent education, cyber safety, um, it, you know, back in the day, we didn't have to talk about um, online grooming and things like that. So um, even, you know, each state has their own protected behaviours programs. But I basically say, unless you're talking about cyber safety, grooming, pornography, consent, and, oh, it's got out of my head, there's one other. Um Sexting? Sorry? Sexting, maybe? Um, well, yeah, all of that. Um, you know, we have to go so much deeper now. Yeah. And, you know, we can't just be doing the generic rolling out, you know, talking about feelings and early warning signs. And, um, you know, I've even stopped calling it a network. I call it a safety team because that makes so much more sense to children. Yeah. But it has to evolve. And without, you know, so the foundation of protective behaviours I'm so grateful for because, you know, that's the building blocks and then we can make a stronger program around that. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And I saw that in my job as a police officer and detective. I saw that, you know, the kids that were most at risk were the ones who didn't have that education, were naive, didn't weren't supervised, they didn't have, you know, protective parents, you know, all of those things. But the biggest key to that, or to the biggest key to them um, not becoming victims and or stopping it when, you know, when it's early on is by knowing protective behaviours. And, you know, further on when I was um, investigating online abuse, the kids who had protective behaviours picked up on the online abuse faster than the ones that didn't. So I 100% yeah. agree with you that if a child has protective behaviours education in their foundations, in their base, then everything else stems off that um, sex yeah. education, consent education, online safety education, grooming, all of that stems off of that one protective behaviour education um, foundation. So, yeah. And yet a lot of people, you know, still to this day, um, badmouth protective behaviour saying, you know, it's not up to children to keep themselves safe and no. it's bad and you're putting pressure on them. And for me... That children are the last line of defence. Yes, it's our jobs as adults to keep kids safe, but you can't always be there. So it needs to be school, home and the child all working together to keep kids safe. And, you know, if you don't know that somebody should be sending you naked pictures or you should be showing your private parts, for instance, or touching your private parts, then how can you do anything about it? Yeah, yes, well, how do you? Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, who, and how do you know to speak to someone in your safety team um, how do you know to, you know, that that is wrong? You don't know something's wrong unless you've, you're educated and taught about it and all through trial and error, right? So, you know, there's a lot of things. I, I agree with you. Like, yes, we should be protecting our kids. It's not their responsibility to stop child sexual abuse or child abuse or online abuse. But how are they meant to also protect themselves if they don't know? Exactly. And, you know, a lot of teachers will say it's not my job as a teacher, you know, it's the parent's job. Yeah. But we all need to work together because, you know, as you know, a lot of abuse happens in the kids' own homes. Yeah. Not everybody has the same parenting skills. 
um, you know, it needs to be us all working together as a community. You know, the old saying, it takes a village has never yep. been truer. And, and, you know. Especially in this space. And also it takes a village to, um, you know, we've got to fight together against perpetrators who are in their own village sharing ideas and, and you know, sharing these images and things of children and, and they're getting smarter. So we have to get smarter to try and combat that. I've seen it in your role um, time and time again. Yeah. What What are some, I, I know that you work in, and you've pointed, you said that at the start, you work in remote communities. You do a lot of work in remote communities in, um, you know, the Northern Territory and Western Australia. Is there a difference between what you're seeing in remote Australia than in, say, central, in like cities? Is there a difference going on there? Um. Yes and no. Um, you know, there's very similar things happening. Um, but, you know, for me, TikTok is the hugest scourge, especially for kids out bush because they're all on it. That's not to say kids in, you know, the cities aren't on it. But, you know, the education for the parents out bush is not happening. And that's where I've been um, trying to encourage the eSafety Commission to create resources to educate parents around this sort of stuff you know families in Perth will have family zone or you know net nanny or some sort of filtering systems whereas you know the parents that I'm working with out bush um their, their children are just unsupervised and they don't yeah. realize that you know every pedophile in the world can come into their community um you know I've got a fantastic story of a in fact I was just out in the community last week um, a tiny little community with only eight children and I did a lesson around uh, online grooming and, and stuff like that now the, the principle there was no I cannot make a phone call in that community um, I can't you know I have to go and stand in a certain spot um, at a certain time of the day to even get my emails that's how limited wow. the, and yet and the principal oh you know you don't need to do cyber safety with our kids and um so on the um, Tuesday, I showed the kids a picture of some fried grasshoppers um, and I said I'd had them in Mexico and this little 10-year-old fella says, Holly, I've got a friend in Mexico who I'm playing Fortnite with and, um, you know, my friend from Mexico, I've invited to come and see me in, in our community and I was going, how do you know he's 10, mate? Oh, Holly, he's definitely 10, he's definitely 10. I said, we'll see. On the Wednesday, I taught them about early warning signs. On the Thursday, I taught the children uh, my cyber safety lesson where we talk about, I don't actually call it grooming with kids out bush. I call it friending them up yeah. because they would, you know, if I said grooming, they would think putting on makeup and brushing your hair sort of thing. So, in fact, I've used that term now for mainstream as well because I just think it talks, it's more to the point rather than grooming. But anyway, I do my lesson on the Thursday. On the Friday, this young fella comes to me, Holly, you know, my friend from Mexico, I don't think that's a kid. I think that's a grown-up starting to talk rude way. He wants me to send him them naked pictures. That's that friending up. Holly, I'm going to trust my gut. So because of him, um, I've got this T-shirt, listen to kids, believe kids, and trust your guts. And yep. that's, you know, that he he worked out um, that he had his early warning signs. And um, so Thank since God. Thank yeah, God yeah. you did so, that present that you talked to them about friending up and stuff like that. But because of my experience with that young fellow, we've now this year written two um, songs with Aboriginal kids. The first one was written in Kalkarinji about red flags and friending up. And then just last week we wrote one about sextortion. 
I've written a song that's got the words extortion in it. I'm just <laughs> well, it's a it's it's not even like it's a mainstream word, but still people don't understand what sextortion is. No, and because it says sex in it, yeah. um, normally, you know, if you say anything to do with sex in remote communities, you'd have to separate boys and girls. Yeah. But because of the education that I'd done with everybody and it said, this is a term that police would use. This is the official term. Yeah. And they were totally comfortable with using that word. And, you know, we need to mainstream that word, but the, but the song's fantastic. And so both of the songs are very to the point but they're what the children, um, you know, they're what, so the children have actually written the words. A lot of people would say, oh, you know, but it took me all my time because one of the, in the last song we did, it said um, um, talking stories rather yep. than telling stories. And yep. I've gone, eh, 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 can we? No, that's the kid's word. So that's, we left, you know, it says talking yep. stories because that's how they talk. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm so proud of these songs and the fact that these children, you know, they want to help create an awareness around this because they realise, um, you know, because I, I I tell them this young fella's story and they say, oh, Holly, if it can help other kids. And, and um, you know, I think children learn better from other children and, you know, music is and, and children's books are such great ways of helping adults have uncomfortable um, conversations because, you know, I had to write two books to help adults talk to kids about pornography. Yes. And then one about helping adults talk about child to child or children exhibiting harmful sexual behaviour is the proper terminology, as you know. Yeah. Um, who in their right mind would write books about that? But I found that I had to because, yeah. you know, these things are happening all the time and, you know, if we can... My thing is if I could create resources to help parents have easier conversations, yeah, you know, that's what my passion is, um, to help adults, teachers, parents um, to have those conversations to, you know, to make the village stronger. Yeah, and one conversation can make all the difference. Like that one conversation. And generally, you know, these conversations, and you and I know, these conversations aren't just one conversation. It's multiple conversations over a period of time that embeds that messaging into their um, into their psyche that makes them confident and makes them aware and makes them stronger and they can say no, right? And they get um, that self-esteem in knowing their rights. We know that, but this is the thing that I know why I wrote my book, why I want parents to have those conversations because I know that it takes more than one conversation and I know that it's a hard conversation to have if you don't know what you're talking about. So like you, we've got a similar mission in life is to just educate people, educate and empower people to know how to talk about this stuff with their kids and to realise that it is really important to talk about it. And also the prevalence of it, yeah. you know, if I had a dollar for every parent that said, oh, you know, my child would never look at pornography or, you know, this will never happen to my child because I'm a good parent, it happens to good kids. You know, kids don't need to go looking for pornography. It will find them. Yeah. And, you know, we have to try and create, uh, you'll find it too, I'm sure, because I know you've started doing lots of parent workshops, getting parents along to free parent talks is the bane of my life. Yeah, I can deal with all of the horrible stories. The thing that frustrates me the most is trying to get parents through the door for two hours to learn some strategies to help them have conversations and to keep their kids safe. But you know, I that 
it, I find it really hard. Yeah. yeah. I know and, parents are busy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're one of the things I'd like to say to people listening to this, if your child has a cyber safety expert, somebody that's coming in about this stuff, please drop everything and get there because, you know, we, we need to be educated around this and we can't say not my kid. Yeah, exactly. And because it, and I, there's a funny meme about, you know, whenever you say, um, my, my kid would never do that, then, then your child does, comes in nevering like they've never, nevered before. Like, you know, <laughs> like that, that's exactly what happens. You say, not, not my kid. And then the next thing they're doing it because it's like you've, you've pushed your tested fate there um but you know in this space we know and i know um you know in this child abuse space that you know one in three girls one in seven boys i'm sure that statistic is probably uh the one in seven boys is maybe more now um you know we know that children are you know go there's harmful sexualized behaviors or peer-based abuse or children abusing children, whatever you want to call it. But the, the correct terminology is harmful sexualized behaviors. You know, every time I bring harmful sexualized behaviors up or I talk about peer-based abuse, I have people out of every which way messaging me going, yeah, that happened to me when I was a child. Yep. You know, is this abuse? Because this is what happened to me, you know? And so what I or questioning if they consented that's the big thing I'm getting yeah is you know it was a sibling it was they thought it was a game and they yep. consented yeah no you didn't you no. can't consent as a child yep. you know and and taking that shame away from people saying that you know it wasn't your fault you didn't consent you were manipulated you were groomed um, and having, you know, I've had so many, I mean, I don't think I've ever done a parent workshop when I haven't had a disclosure at the end of it. I always make it really clear this is not the space, but sometimes I have a line of 10 people at the end of my talk while I'm trying to pack up. Oh, Holly, I wish I had have known this as a kid and, and you yeah. know, telling me things. You'll have the same thing, I'm sure. Oh, I do. And, um, you know, I as you, as you mentioned about TikTok, you know, I've got an account on TikTok with like 23,000 something followers. And on that TikTok, if I mention any of these things, I'll have people contacting me. I'll have people messaging or saying things in those, oh, yeah, that happened to me. Oh, I was abused by my neighbour. I was abused by my um, brother or sister or, you know, my cousin, you know, and Oh, sometimes it's heavy hey like that's why we have to do swing dancing and tennis or whatever else we do because some days it's heavy some of these disclosures get heavy and um you know I'm I I know you feel the same way I'm honored to be the person that people come to but it but there's a lot and that's why it's so important what we're doing is so important because there is a lot of people who have been traumatized by this stuff and yet we haven't put an emphasis on doing like we're now starting to put an emphasis on it, but you know, you've been doing this for 20 something years, you know, or at least 13 in your own business or 14, 15 years in your own business, but you know, 20 something years, you've probably seen all of this, you know, um, being hidden away and, and people scared to talk about it. Now they're slowly coming out of the shell and happy to talk about it. Um one of the interesting statistics, um, and you've probably seen it too, on the um, the ACCE website, um, I listened to a podcast recently and um, the guys that helped me um, do the song called Muse yeah. Magic, um, I had them listen to the podcast so they were clear in their minds too so we made sure that yeah. the song was on point. But they are receiving 
over a hundred contacts a month about sextortion. Wow. 92% of those reports are, are, are men, young men. Wow. From 14 to 24. So this is the Australian counter child Center for to counter, yeah. Yeah. Center to counter child exploitation. Wow. Now just think if they're getting a hundred reports, how many are not being reported? Wow. If we're not talking about this, how many of those young men may go on to take their own lives? That's my that what that's what keeps me awake at the moment. Yes. Is that statistic. Because um, you know, they're being asked for money or more explicit, you know, images, or even being made to go and video their their siblings. So, again, this is why we have to teach everybody about this. And, you know, I just can't express, I don't have the words to express how, you know, how much education we need to do about this sort of stuff because it's changing all the time. And, you know, because, you know, I don't have quite as many followers on TikTok. Um, For four years I bagged TikTok, get your kids off it, and then I had three police officers in three separate states say, Holly, you need to get over yourself. That's where people are and you need to get on there. So um, I've only got about 5,000, but I got most of them because of trolls, ironically. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I got my 23,000, I'm sure, from being trolled. (laughs) You know, People calling me a pedophile and this, uh, yeah, so, you know, so I delete all the really heinous stuff. But, you know, and every time I go on there, I, oh, God, what will it be this time? But it still won't deter me. I know definitely won't deter you of keep having to tell our stories because we need to go where people are. And if yeah. people are on TikTok, as much as I hate it, um, that's where I'll go because um, I've even been thinking about, you know, it, most children are on it. And when I say to their parents, you do realise your kids are on TikTok, and this is even in mainst- you know, mainstream, oh, Holly, it's okay. It's just a dancing app. Oh, my goodness. No. I know, right? And then I take a screenshot and show them all of this stuff that's on the dancing app and at the top of the head nearly blows off. Um, but, you know, what I'm going to ask people that listen to your podcast and, and if they, you know, see it on YouTube or whatever, Please, if you see any of our content, don't just like it. Please share it because mainstream media still don't want to talk about what we need to talk about. And, you know, social media as much as, you know, it's sort of like a double-edged sword. um, We have to support each other. And that's why, you know, I, wherever I can, share your book. I know you share my book. (laughs) Yeah, well, look, my book. But, you know, we're, as individuals, you know, we have a certain amount of pool, but by pooling us, you know, stuff together and sharing, and then if we can get all the listeners to share it with people they know, it's the stone in a pond and the ripples that can move out can be vast. And so, you know, I'm I'm really hoping that people will, you know, find our chat both entertaining, but also valuable and just share it with people they know because, um, yeah, I um I, I was interviewed on ABC um ironically um a few months back and um you know they th- oh Holly you'll get lots of you know inquiries none wow you know, it was on ABC Sunday night news um it was a good news story 
and I had three people contact me, but it was all people that I'd met in the past and hadn't seen for years, and they all wanted to congratulate me. Not one, um, not one inquiry and, and things yeah. like that. You just go, really? Really? Yeah. Well, it just shows that mainstream media, first of all, is not the main source of education now. Once upon a time, we watched the nightly news. We learned about what was happening on the, in the world, but now we get it from our iPhones and from social media. Like, and we're getting it as adults. Where that's where we're getting it from. What do you think our kids are doing? They're googling things. They're they're believing what they see on TikTok. They're they're believing what they see on YouTube. They believe it, and yet they could be getting fake or false information. They could be getting groomed. Um, you know, one of the comments that was made to me a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago now um, during a, a another conference, we're always at conferences, aren't we, um, was, you know, uh, predators or, or pedophiles don't need to groom your kids anymore. The the internet's doing it for them. And, Definitely. And that was a bit, of the, and that was like, poor, my brain went, oh, you're 100% right. Because they, you know, they're being sexualized, and I'm not anti anything. What I'm anti is that we need to make sure our kids have the tools ready to go into that place. We don't, we don't just throw our kids in a pool and say, "Learn how to swim." You know, we have fences around them to keep them safe so that they can't, you know, just fall in or or accidentally go in there. We we monitor them whilst they're in the pool. We are keeping an eye on them at all times. You know, we teach them how to swim. We give them swimming lessons to learn how to float and swim and, and do everything, right? Why is it that we go, here, here's a phone or a device and here's the internet with every pedophile and every person out there to harm you and hurt you? Voila. <laughs> you know, that's what, so I liken it to that, you know, and I, I guess, and I saw it through my career as a police officer, I, when I first started, it wasn't as bad. It was a lot lot more safer for kids online because there was a lot less knowledge out there. There was a lot less parents just handing a device. It was still new. Now, what's the statistic? It's something like three-year-olds get their first device or four-year-olds. Like 95% of four-year-olds in Australia have a device of their own. So we just need to be mindful. And um, I think that's where you and I both agree. We're not saying don't, we're just saying be be careful, Have make some better choices. Educate and monitor. Yes. You know, no parent would let their child go down to a park for half an hour unsupervised. True. And yet they'll let them go on YouTube for, you know, three hours straight. And, you know, there's so, so much pornography on YouTube, it's not funny. And so... Yeah. Or, I've got a story about that actually scroll through TikTok or all of these sorts of things, but tell me a funny story. Oh, it's not very funny, actually. It's Ooh. when my own daughter, so talking about pornography, it was when my own daughter had um, first seen pornography at 10 and I decided, like, how to panic. I was still a detective at the stage. Had it had the conversation, still managed to find her, like you said. Um, and anyway, so I uh, was ch uh, checking, like, I uploaded all these apps onto my, to see if I could keep her safe, right? So I uploaded these apps and I was testing them with all sorts of things. And um, anyway, I Googled sex in YouTube. So S I, I, I searched sex, S-E-X in YouTube and um, nothing came up. It was more like sexy music, sexy dancing, that kind of thing, right? Because that would be flagged automatically, I guess, on you. But anyway, but what was suggested to me was S-A-X, so sax. And I'm thinking Kenny G playing his saxophone, right? 
actually what came up was a um when I clicked on a video it was bestiality it was a guy having sex with an animal um and so that was readily available on YouTube actually like still uh I don't uh, vicarious trauma I still have vicarious trauma I still can see that video so imagine a year, little child like a three or four or six or seven year old you know you know just watching their videos and and um you know it's auto playing going through all the videos and getting recommendations and then next thing you get a video of a man having sex with a goat or whatever you know and or they make it that the kids what the kids are looking at like every little girl loves frozen if a little girl puts in frozen or elsa into youtube she's going to come across a video with two adults one dressed as spider-man one dressed as elsa having sex and having twins yeah so they they tag you know they they know what children search Harry Potter um, Minecraft you know I've seen so many blocks yeah 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 so that that's the thing like they're targeting our kids on purpose they're grooming our kids on purpose so I I guess your your and my um, focus is awareness and education and you know making people safe so what are three things um you think parents anyone listening can do right now to help their kids in this in their lives with this stuff open communication first of all you know uh, as you know our two themes are we all have the right to feel safe all of the time and we can talk to someone about anything parents need to reiterate reiterate that with their children time and time again nothing you'll ever tell me will stop me loving you Yes. It's need to hear that a million times because those dear little people that, you know, get tucked into bed every night think they have to protect their parents. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if parents can be, you know, if you got suspended from school, yes, you might be in trouble, but it, nothing will stop me loving you. Yes. Um, talking to their children about, you know, grooming and, and um, pornography and having those uncomfortable conversations and you know there are more tools out there and that's you know what we you know you mentioned them in your book um and also probably the most successful lesson I do with children is I ring the kids helpline with the children Mm. because you know yourself sometimes when bad things happen it's really hard to tell somebody face to face when I actually physically ring the kids helpline with all children um and, you know, people have heard of the Kids Helpline, but most people don't know the true value, that it's 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. But if I was a child and you worked at Kids Helpline and I got to talk to you, I like you, I can keep talking to you. I don't have to keep telling my story to every man and his dog. If I need ongoing counselling, I can arrange it, say, at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, I'm going to ring and talk to you. And when I physically do it with the children, they they come up afterwards and, you know, oh, Miss Holly, that wasn't like ringing Centrelink. They were really helpful or that wasn't a, (laughs) that wasn't a, um, you know, that was a real person. That wasn't a, you know, a robot or something like that. So I actually encourage all parents to sit down with their children and physically say, oh, we just wanted to hear what it's like because everybody's heard of it, Mm. but it's not until you actually do it that you see just how valuable it is and um you know both with teachers and with parents I say do that because um I will have done this I've lost count of how many times I've done this I do it with every class that I work with 
from grade four upwards. And, you know, the response from the children is when on the Friday, so sometimes I go into schools for a whole week and on the Friday I'll say to the kids, what was the best thing about this week? And one of the lessons I do is with the kids is I show them a Mr. Bean video where he goes off a high dive board and his bathers come off and it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and we talk about early warning signs. It even beats that lesson. <laughs> it's absolutely love. But they say, no, that was the most valuable. So, and especially with our teens, because, you know, teenagers don't want to talk to us. They only want to talk to their mates. But And I was talking to a, a young 15-year-old earlier in the year who's, best friend was going through some really bad stuff. She didn't tell me what it was, but basically she told the girl that I was working with, uh, you know, in the class, and this young 15-year-old was going to sleep at night with her phone under her um, pillow on charge so that if her friend ran her at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, she could talk to her. So I rang the kids' helpline with this class. Then she was going to go and ring the kids' helpline with her friend so that, because it's not up to our teens to keep their friends alive. It is our job. But for her, and hopefully for the young woman that she taught it to, you know, that will be life-changing and they are saving children's lives. I've got, you know, so many wonderful stories of where kids have actually rung and um, the impact that it's made. So, you know, really encouraging both teachers and parents to to ring the kids' helpline. You know, there's Headspace as well. And, but to be honest, I've had so many good experiences. And because it's from five to 25. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. Like I've never, to be honest, I'll be, like, I have never rung them, obviously. I'm not in that age group, but never thought to ring them with the char- children to see how easy it is and how friendly they are. And by doing that, you're taking away that um, unknown factor which then bridges the gap between doing nothing and, and calling. So it's, um yeah, what a valuable tool. And now thinking about it, like and you like you pointed out, teenagers would rather talk to each other. They won't sometimes come to their parents or, or a safe adult. So parent, te- teenagers are increasingly taking on the burden of um, keeping their friends alive, keeping their friends mentally healthy. You know, I've got a 14-year-old daughter and I know that she's doing that for some of her friends to the point where I end up stepping in. You know, I'm one of those parents who steps in and contacts the other parents and says, hey, you know, your child needs some help. You need to step in, which doesn't always go down well. But, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm very aware that this is an increasing burden on our young people. And it's happening younger too. Like we've got kids in primary school that are dealing with kids with depression and self-harm and stuff like that. So, yeah, what a, what a tool that is. That's amazing. As well as they can um, they can also um, email them and message them. However, I don't encourage that. Yeah, because, it's better to speak to a person. Yeah, and they get between 700 and 1,500 contacts every day from kids from all around Australia, about half of which are either emailing or messaging so if a kid emails, it could take more than a week before they get their email answered. Right. I want kids to pick up the phone, find the person they connect with, get yes. their name, and then they can have either ongoing counselling or, you know, if I if I rang you and you weren't there that day, um, they'd say, look, Christy's not here today, but she'll be back in on Thursday, you know, next Thursday between this time and this time. Or um, if I'm desperate, I could talk to them. Yeah. I'm going to wait till Thursday to talk to you. And you'll keep notes on me so I can keep ringing you and there'll never, ever be two people with the same name. 
So they'll never ever, let's face it, there'll be two Christies, but there'll never be two people with the, the same name. So it can't get mixed up. Yeah. Um, and if they need ongoing counselling, they just build on, you know, I rang you two weeks ago and now we, I don't have to go back over all that stuff oh. because you've kept notes on me. We can start from where we ended and just keep going forward. That's amazing. I had no idea. I've just learned something. That is amazing. Oh, what a tool. And I think I think if parents and everyone, oh, I'll be sharing that from now on. I had no idea. Um, all right. So I always say to people, and I've said it in my book and I've said it in other things, if, I, if people knew what I knew, they would do things differently. Is there anything that you have that, like, that you think if they knew what I knew, they would do things differently? Having the conversation about pornography at, by six. So protective education by three at the latest. Well, starting and, at three, yep. Well, at, you know, earlier, you know, Building. basically, um, you know, we can teach consent for children from this big. I know consent's a really contentious thing and, you know, lots of people come out saying, oh, it's bloody ridiculous teaching kids, you know, that no, they can't change their nappy and things. That's not what I'm saying. No. I'm saying if you were holding a toddler and I wanted a cuddle and I said, hey, bub, and I put out my hands to get the toddler. If they cuddled into you, I'm not taking them. So I'm modelling consent. Yes. So, and, you know, two-year-olds need to know the correct name for their anatomical body parts. Yes. Um, and then talking about private pictures and private movies from six. Yes. And the amount of flack that I cop when I say these sorts of things, but, you know, children as young as six are, are seeing these heinous well, and much younger, I've got a story of a, a parent who was watching Christmas, had, her child was watching Christmas clips on YouTube. They were three and something about Santa's sack came up yeah. and there were no toys in Santa's sack. Um, so <laughs> That's terrible, <laughs> but that's a funny way to say it. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> no, no, but that's, that's, that's the reality of what this is. Yeah. So... You know, and another time a parent was um, cooking the dinner while her daughter was watching ballet on YouTube and then heard all these inappropriate noises um, and then raced over and her daughter's seeing, you know, adult content. Um, I don't know if you're having um, been contacted about this, but I am all the time. Kids as young as nine sitting in class making sexual orgasm noises. Yes. So my thing is, conversations early and it's not about it's if you see pictures of movies people no clothes on I need you to turn it over and I need you to come and show me what you saw yeah I used to say tell me until I was exposed to some child exploitation material and uh, I have flashbacks about that as well yeah so now I say turn it over and go and show your parent because kids are having nightmares flashbacks kids are thinking that dad is doing that to mum so for yeah. me yeah, and I've had kids come to me and say I saw something and I can't get it out of my head. It makes me feel sick. I'm, you know, I've had children disclose that to me in presentations I've done at schools. Um, you know, so I do. I'm very aware of that. But that's a really good idea. Is to, you know, if you you can teach them this stuff from very young, and explain and give them an action plan of what to do. Yes. What do you do when someone, you know, and even I, I love the what do you, what what would you do if. You know, yeah. so what would you do if you saw, you know, two people naked on your, on your device, on your iPad or your your tablet or whatever, you know, and then finding out what they would do, 
you know, the good, but then also giving them, okay, you turn it over and you come and show me so that, we, you know, it's private stuff for, it's not for little kids, you know, um, because, yeah, it does, it makes a big, has a bigger impact than what we realise. We think that they just forget about it, but they don't. They have nightmares. They they can see it. They re-see it. Re, re, um, it plays on in their mind. And then we wonder why they might be having issues, you know, and why, why they might be struggling with stuff or why they all of a sudden are doing something that they've never done before. Um, we know that... No, no. We know that harmful sexualized behaviors are, um, you know, one of the attributes or one of the things that they're saying is causing harmful sexualized behaviors, children abusing other children, is the early exposure to pornography is one of those um, reasons. Totally. You know, I had a counselor contact me. Um, she was counseling a 10-year-old who would not go to sleep at night. And she contacted me, was wanting to talk about some resources. So she said, Holly, well, I've got you. Can I run this past you? I've got this young girl. I've had five sessions with her. She won't go to sleep. I can't get to the bottom of it. I said, no brainer. Ask her if she's seen pictures or movies with people no clothes on. She rang me back and said, goodness, how did you know? I've spoken to every one of my colleagues about this child. I could not, you know, I didn't know what it was. And I said, because I'm living this, I'm, you know, hearing these stories over and over again. This little girl had seen such heinous stuff that every time she shut her eyes, she would be reliving it. So she'd be up all night and would just, you know, crash at two or three o'clock in the morning when she was just so exhausted yeah. because she would kept playing it over and over again. And so that's why, you know, in my books, as you said, we give an action plan about turning it over, um, also about trying to reboot your brain. And so I have to teach the kids that if you if it plays over in your mind, close your eyes and imagine something that you like to see or you like to do. And yeah. when you say reboot to children, they understand that language. Yes. Okay. So, you know, there are really good resources out there that if parents don't know how to start it, you know, and, and that's the beauty with books is it takes the onus off you. Parents, oh, what if I get it wrong? Yes. And a lot of people say, if I talk about it, we'll turn them onto it. We're not making it sound attractive. No. They're like no. poison for your brain and, you know, giving them the tools. Yeah, no, that's awesome and really good advice on, you know, um, the re reboot your brain because I, in actual fact, when I used to have nightmares my uh, and I'd go and say, uh, you know, I've had a nightmare to my stepmom or my dad, my stepmom would say, go and think about something nice that you like. And I never even realised that that was, you know, I would then go and like think about horses or whatever it was that I wanted to think about unicorns or I don't know. And so that would be what would reboot my brain from the nightmare. Um, so, and that's a tactic I've used for a long time without, so I didn't know I was doing that. There you go. What a good, what, that's all awesome. So, um, we'll finish up. Is there anything else you wanted to share with what you're doing? What's going on for you? You're going on a cruise. Um, and so the year's kind of finishing up for you. So what about next year? Have you got heaps of plans for next year? The work's rolling in as we speak, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, um, but I'm, I'm building, trying to build online platforms so that we can be in more places. And um, I, um, I've got a couple of little video scripts. I'm going to start going into making, apart from as well as the songs and the books, having useful YouTube clips that can be used as teaching tools and stuff like that so basically I don't Lots have any work creating. yeah yeah I've got um two months off 
from face to face with kids now that the school holidays and things but there's unfortunately no rest for the wicked and and so going into production to to create resources that's awesome yeah that's awesome and um if anyone is listening and wants to check out um you know follow you um touch base with you buy your books um check out your videos with the the wonderful kids from uh well where they're from northern territory one of one lot. One's from WA, so we have eleven now. One's from WA. The rest are all in the Northern Territory. Yeah. Um. The last one was made in um in Daria, also known as Hermesburg. Yeah. Um. And then the other grooming one was made up in Kalkarinji, which is also known as Wave Hill, which is a really, um, both are very famous communities. But we've been in tiny little ones and huge ones. <laughs> so how can they get in touch with you or follow you? What where can they follow you? Safe for kids on everything. Safe for kids on TikTok, YouTube, um, Facebook. Um, it's just safe for number four kids. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and your website. So you got books, and I've got one here, which is called "Someone Should Have Told Me," and it's all about um, you know if they uh, knowing about pornography before it happens and what to do. And there's I, I bought this book ages ago, and it's I have it on standby when I want to um, give advice because. Although it's a picture book, it's also at the back got like an action plan for parents and caregivers and, and teachers and stuff. So so you get your books on your website, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That one's quite different. To, so I've written five. The first four are social stories. Yep. But that one I actually wrote after being standing in front of 5,500 children in a year and hearing all these things. So it's quite different because it's one page, one conversation per night. I don't want parents just to read it from beginning to end. I want them, you know, the first one is I wish somebody had told me not to type private words into the computer and he's typed in bum and there's a like a little tato in the shape of a bottom. Yeah. But in the, like you said, in the back of the book, there's all these conversations to have and questions and things. Yeah, that's And amazing. then the next one is, you know, I wish somebody had told me not to talk to people on the internet so it's a kid think he's talking to a kid, but it's in fact the big bad wolf. Yeah. And so just trying to be creative but help parents have that conversation in a child-friendly way um, and, and they can't get it wrong if they read my words because, you know, it's tried and, you know. Yeah, tested. lots and lots of experience behind it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Holly Ann. Um, very awesome conversation, lots to learn. I learned some things myself, which is cool. Always cool when I learn. Um, but enjoy your time on your cruise next week. I can't believe I bet you. And I can't wait to see some videos of your swing dancing. <laughs> All right. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Education empowers children and empowers parents and education prevents abuse. That is why I'm here and that is why you are here. So thank you. If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media, either under Christy McVie or KPAU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can also purchase a signed copy of my book, Operation Kids Safe, via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kids Safe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. 
thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.